Welcome to the Health Revolution, and today I'm very pleased to welcome Alison Adams. Uh, Alison uh, is, uh, or was, I should say, a dentist, and had, uh, including her training, 25 years of experience uh, within dentistry, but uh, now she's no longer a dentist, and she's going to explain to us why, and going to explain uh, what we need to know about dentistry to keep our teeth in the finest possible condition. So welcome, Alison. Thank you, Clive, for inviting me. Well, thank you very much. So uh, uh, what was it that began to change your mind about conventional dentistry and uh, the wisdom of applying it? Um. Getting deathly sick is the short answer to that. that um, go ahead. I said that would tend to do it. Yep, yep, that's what it took. <laughs> um, I'd never been well. Uh, it was only when I became sick I looked at the bigger picture of my family and realised that a lot of the women in my family died of autoimmune diseases in their 40s and 50s. And that's where I thought um, I was heading. Uh, I had all the vaccinations i had a load of amalgam fillings um a lot done in quick succession when i went to dental school actually because they uh screened us and i was found to have been neglected by my hometown dentist so i had about 19 fillings i think done in the space of three months which probably wasn't terribly clever um I also had always had uh, digestive problems. I had musculoskeletal problems. By the age of, uh, you know, 18, I think I'd had 17 operations. Um, I, I'm deaf in one ear. I'd always had lots of hearing problems, lots of antibiotics, um, and so on. Uh, then I hit puberty. They gave me, you know, the pill and, and all that sort of thing. So I'd been medicated and been in the kind of allopathic system all my life. Um, I went to dental school I studied there I had a couple of kind of little bit of hiccups looking back where I think I, I probably had a, a thyroid issue or um, you know acute poisoning but I didn't know that at the time um, I went out I worked for a few years I then went and did a master's degree in America at the University of Michigan in restorative dentistry came back worked a few years for somebody else um, and whilst I was in that job one of my nurses didn't put a an amalgam cartridge in uh, an old-fashioned amalgamator, adapted amalgamator properly. Um, and amalgam is half powdered metals and half liquid mercury. And the capsule hit the wall, shattered, the mercury splattered everywhere. We did try and locate it, but we never did. And I didn't realise how serious an issue that was at the time. Um, so I carried on working in that room for many months afterwards. But when I, I look back in retrospect, my health completely fell apart at that stage. Um, my sleep broke down totally. Um, I became immensely fatigued and uh, so on. Anyway, I, I did manage to keep it together. I got my own practice in London, central London, private practice. Um, but all the time my health was failing. I actually also lived in the practice. So now looking back, I was actually exposed to mercury vapour 24-7 for seven years, which wasn't terribly clever either. And eventually my health just got so bad. Um, I had a series of miscarriages, lost a lot of blood. Uh, you know, it was all kind of pretty ghastly. Um, and I had went to see a couple of doctors. My GP wasn't very helpful or sympathetic. Um, and I went to see a, a private GP who, who um, diagnosed that I had an underactive thyroid. And I think that at least saved my life. Um, 
But uh, so it went from there, and and his uh, he did uh, he did diagnose the, the hypothyroidism, prescribed thyroxine, but he didn't do much beyond that, and. What he did do was suggest that perhaps I needed some time off and that, you know, I just needed to restore myself. So that being the only suggestion on offer, that's what I did. I, I sold my practice and uh, planned to take maybe three months off and recover. And instead of recovering, my health just completely fell apart. Um, I think once I was no longer stressed, uh, that wasn't propping me up. You know, the, the, the true <laughs> magnitude of the sickness kind of manifested itself. So little was I to know, but that was 10 years ago and it's taken me a full 10 years to start to feel well, really. Um, it was all pretty ghastly. And so this was just the sort of same sort of amount of mercury that they would put in one tooth in one filling. And not yes. very much, I say. Well, I, I can't remember how they call them spills. I can't remember uh, whether, uh, you know, how big the spills were, one, two or three. You've got different sized cartridges. But, um, yes, the amount of mercury in one kind of modest size filling would be the same as you get in uh, a thermometer, about a gram. And if that breaks on a ward, you actually are supposed to evacuate the ward. There's all these procedures in place. I... Uh, I think that a lot of the time the, the spills and the breakages aren't reported because whoever's done it knows they're going to get into terrible trouble. Uh, at least the requisitioning of uh, materials would suggest that to be the case. Um, they think one thermometer is broken per month per ward on average um, and goes unreported. And um, so uh, how do you feel about the fact that uh, dentists are still putting um, these mercury amalgam fillings in people's mouths. What do you think about that? Well, they were told what I was told when I was a, a dental student, which is that the mercury is bound by the other metals and that it's safe. But that is categorically not the case. We know that now. It's been demonstrated. Um, there's a video that your uh, viewers might care to watch called the smoking tooth video, which is a mercury vapour. Um, it's actually an old extracted tooth with an amalgam filling in and they've just uh, stimulated a little, a little bit with uh, by rubbing it with an eraser and you can see they've just got it against a, a screen which makes the mercury vapour visible and you can see it, it pouring out of that and of course that's going on in our mouths all the time when we eat when we chew, when we stimulate the filling, when we brush our teeth, when we uh, you know, drink hot things, they eat acidic things um, so that's going on all the time. The mercury vapour is going directly up through the nose into the brain. It's being inhaled um, into the lungs and then being absorbed into the blood and distributed around the body. It's being swallowed in your saliva. Uh, the corrosion products and actual beads of mercury form on the uh, high copper amalgam they use now. So... Um, Unfortunately, the authorities probably aren't ever going to concede how much of an issue this is. Uh, there are now moves afoot to get amalgam phased out, um, but it's all being done on environmental grounds and there's no admission that it actually poses a, a huge threat to the individual. So even if they're protecting the environment, they're not going to be protecting patients when they're taking uh, amalgam fillings out and all that sort of thing. So. I feel pretty desperate. I've committed my the rest of my life to doing this work, to trying to spread the work, to trying to um, change dentists' minds. There's actually a million dentists worldwide, and most of them, the vast majority of them, will be doing still placing amalgams, and they don't realise they're sentencing those patients to a pretty horrific future. But none of them are doing it. Almost none of them are doing it intentionally. They just don't know. They've never been told. So, so if a dentist suddenly works it out, they realise that these amalgam fillings are dangerous, uh, what would happen to them if they told their patients, I don't want to give you this filling because I think it's dangerous? Well, that's why it's so confronting for these dentists, even when they do, you know, wake up to the, the fact. And it may take the illness of a, you know, a staff member or a family member or something like that for them to figure it out, or a patient maybe. Um, it's incredibly confronting. First of all, they need to know how to um, remove amalgam safely. And you need to really kind of, you know, re-equip, retrain your staff. 
And then, as you say, so rightly, it, it, it's very confronting to have to tell all your patients, you know, that what you've been doing for the last 10, 20, 30, whatever years actually poses a threat. And, you know, I think that worries dentists. It worried me. It still does worry me, knowing, knowing now what I did to people quite unwittingly. Um, and, you know, to my nearest and dearest, to my family members, to my husband, to, you know, um, I feel terrible about some of it now. Um, so, yes, amalgam is just a part of it, but it, it, it's a big part of it. And, of course, a lot of the fillings that are being put in place today will still be there 40, 50 years from now. So we've got a huge, you know, tail off uh, coming with dealing with this problem. And uh, a dentist told me a while back that if she... Uh, told her patients that putting amalgam fillings, for instance, in, in that patient's child would be dangerous, that uh, the General Dental Council could strike them off, just for well, saying Yes, uh, that is the other problem. In, in America, certainly, they've got a, a gagging rule where dentists aren't allowed to talk to patients about any biomaterials that they use or the potential hazards. Um, in California, actually, that's slightly different. They're required to warn patients or, or at least discuss with patients. But yes, until the dental powers that be change their line on this, you are potentially in trouble and your license could be in jeopardy. Um, so that is another big issue for people to face. So how many dentists are trained in the UK uh, to, that, you, that you believe actually know how to safely remove mercury? How many of them are there? I think there are, I, I don't know how many dentists there are. I think there's upwards of 25,000 dentists in the UK now. Um, there are probably, um, I'm guessing, if a generous number would be 100 or so uh, mercury-free dentists. Mm, and some of those uh, don't always appreciate all the aspects of mercury toxicity. Um, some, I think, are a little casual about it um, with respect to how serious and how toxic it all is. Um, so they're kind of on the... They, they've taken one step towards that. There are At the other end of that scale, there are biological dentists who appreciate not only the dangers posed by amalgam, but by other dental procedures as well. And there's less of those that, you know, are really trained up. There's probably, mm, we're talking dozens. Right. And um, so apart from the dangers of uh, uh, mercury, perhaps you'd like to talk about uh, root canals and... Uh, <laughs> What, what one should do if one's got one, and uh, why one should avoid them. Yes, indeed. Well, e easier said than done, but um, what a root canal is, is it's where a tooth has either died um, or is dying, and the dentist takes out the pulp from inside the tooth. Um, they open an access cavity through the top of the tooth. They file out the canals inside the um, roots, uh, clean it all out, often use ultrasonics, that sort of thing, disinfectant. And then they um, obturate or seal the, the canals with a um, kind of rubbery material and a cement. And then often the teeth are fragile, so there's often a crown or, or something put over, over the tooth to prevent it splitting. There's two problems with that. One is the root canal system is never the way it's depicted in illustrations. It's actually very complex and it's, it's an interconnected system um, of accessory and lateral canals that intercommunicate between the, the periodontal membrane that surrounds the, the tooth and the, the pulp of the tooth. So first of all, um, it's almost an impossible, well, it is an impossible job to clean all that necrotic material out um, and fill those spaces. It, it can't be done. And endodontists who are dentists who specialise in root canal, you know, this is widely acknowledged and they, and they do their level best. And as I say, using ultrasonics and all sorts of other things. So that's that's one issue. But the, the, the really kind of insurmountable issue with root canals is that the dentine is actually a living structure. It's actually tubular. And um, when the tooth develops, you've got a, a membrane in the mouth. And uh, very early on in 
pregnancy actually and one side of this lays has cells that lay down enamel that, that move out and lay down enamel and they're called ameloblasts and then there are cells called odontoblasts that move inward and lay down the tubular dentine um, and these actually are like osteoblasts in bone and they actually maintain the dentine. They act as the circulation to the dentine. So they um, take nutrients to the dentine, they remove toxic waste and they also repair the tooth in function in the same way as osteoblasts will maintain bone, constantly kind of remodel it. So when a tooth dies, you lose the circulation to the, the dentine. Um, that's not maintained and that's all necrotic. Um, and this is actually three miles in a front tooth of tubules, 10 miles in a back tooth. And these tubules, you know, they're tiny to us, but they're a, a massive space to bacteria. And what happens when you seal the tooth is you change the conditions within the tooth to from being, uh, you know, oxygenated by the circulation to being anaerobic. And the bacteria within the tooth um, morph into anaerobic forms and they produce they reproduce prolifically and they also produce massive amounts of really noxious toxins and um, phyoethers which are a thousand times more toxic than botulinum toxin the trouble is that the, the tooth is actually providing uh, the dead tooth is providing a perf perfect kind of nutrient environment you've got um all the kind of fluids and things le leaching in. You've got the tooth being incubated at body temperature, and yet it's got no immune system um, to the tooth because there's no circulation so that the immune system really can't uh, attack or deal with the, the, uh, the, the tooth, which is actually acting as a breeding ground um, for bacteria. It, this is the only time in medicine or dentistry that we keep dead organs because the tooth is an organ in the body. And uh, one of the other issues with this is other than spewing toxins and bacteria into the circulation all the time, um, that all the teeth are on energy meridians and that a dead tooth can profoundly affect uh, not only that meridian but the function of the entire body so you may well get symptoms elsewhere that you didn't relate to to the tooth at all so you may get uh you know gallbladder trouble or pain in your knee or something like that and when finding out more and more now that people are having dentists biological dentists have been convinced and having their root canal filled teeth out that you know they're finding lots of long-standing conditions resolve um and that they've never related to the, the root filled tooth Yes, that side of it's fascinating. I've uh, come across many, many reports of exactly that, um, even with the most serious diseases on the planet. Uh, it, seems, it seems they're all related to uh, uh, the teeth. I mean, uh, the work of Weston Price, where he put uh, um, teeth that were extracted from uh, people who had, for instance, heart problems under the skins of rabbits, and within, what, 24 hours, the, the rabbits were showing the same heart symptoms as the person who previously owned the tooth, is that? Is that yes, is abs that absolutely. yes, absolutely, and you've got it, yes. I, I think they kind of all were dead within you know, three weeks or so, and, uh, yes, he did a lot of very meticulous research. Um, whilst on the topic uh, the um, of, of cancer, jo Joseph Issels, who was a German cancer doctor, he kind of identified the cancer root canal link um, and found that 97% of his patients with cancer had root canals. And that's actually been confirmed by Thomas Rao, who runs the Paracelsus Clinic in uh, Switzerland, which is a big kind of alternative um, medical and dental centre there. And he actually looked at the records of 140 consecutive patients who'd come in with breast cancer and found that 97% of them, 98 I think it was, percent of them had root canals um, and often they were um, they were on the breast meridian associated with the breast, which is the lower molars or upper premolars. So at that clinic, the first thing they do is get the root canals out because they're seeing seriously ill patients all the time. Um, and yes, they do what is called total dental revision. So they sort out their, their mouth first. So let's say one's lucky enough to find one of the probably, what, 20 or 30 or 40 biological dentists or natural dentists who are going to do a good job, and you can then actually afford to have your um, root canals removed. What, what do you do instead? Well, that's an issue, and actually having them removed is an issue as well because... Um, 
the dentists who are doing this kind of work, you know, they know, they absolutely believe in what they're doing, but it's flying in the face of, um, as you alluded to earlier, you know, uh, what the insurance companies want them to be doing and what the General Dental Council and so forth want them to be doing. And there's been a recent case in the UK of... Um, he was a very good dentist who was doing this kind of work, losing his license, um, being struck off. He actually was subsequently reinstated, but then no dental professional insurance company would touch him. And there's only two in the country um, because patients like you and I are regarded as high risk. We're, you know, proactive. We complain, <laughs> we demand. Um, and in the eyes of the insurance companies, we're, we're a problem. Um, so they don't really, uh, you know, want want to ensure that sort of work. So, you know, it, it really is a problem. I mean, it, this has to come and this is going to have to come from people demanding this. Um, I don't think dentistry is going to change, you know, the hierarchy, the, the powers that be are going to change of their own volition. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so the people need to know this information and demand it, basically, when they go to the dentist. So they, well, yes, you, you, need, you need to do your homework and you need to see the right kind of dentist first. I mean, I don't go to your local high street dentist and start demanding this, although you might want to start asking some probing questions and uh, put them on the back foot a little bit. Um, but I think you asked me what could you replace an extracted tooth with as well. Um, there's several issues there. One is how you actually extract the tooth because a lot of extractions um, end up never actually healing properly and forming what are called cavitations. They appear to heal, have healed properly. There's no visible signs. Um, there's a thin layer of bone and a gum over the top, but they actually, um, bone in general throughout the body doesn't heal terribly well, and particularly uh, in the mouth. So one issue is how you get the tooth removed because you need to have a biological extraction which removes the periodontal membrane and the um, compact bone from around the tooth and then you need to be very very careful with the blood clot that forms and you know I'd say soups for a week or, or whatever I mean you really you want to let nature do, do its thing um, there are other things you can do uh, of course implants are hugely popular at the moment the vast majority of those are made of titanium and I don't think implanting metal in the body in any way shape or form is a, a good idea at all um, first of all because the metals are toxic second because they they leach into the surrounding tissues and the meridian they block the meridian um, they create galvanic reactions with other metals in the mouth. It's just really not a good way to go. There are now ceramic implants you can get uh, made out of what's called zirconia. Um, but some people think, and, and I think they're a huge improvement, but some people just think you shouldn't be implanting anything foreign in the body. All foreign things are going to cause an autoimmune response sooner or later, and particularly where the implant is breaching the... Um, external and internal environments if you like and especially in a place as dirty frankly as the mouth uh, which is one of the most densely populated uh, places on earth uh, there's you know thousands and tens of thousands of different microbes live in your mouth um, the other thing is that all uh, things implanted in the body can have biofilms form over them um, and this is something we're just really starting to appreciate now uh, but you can get all sorts of nasty microbes living on the surface of these things so you know I'm actually facing this issue myself at the moment and there's no perfect solution uh, you have to decide what's right for you and just make an informed choice really and then find somebody and, and take their advice I think So if somebody decided to live with the uh the root canals that they've got. Um, I mean, I've got a root canal. I terribly want to have it out, even though I know I inverted commas should. I mean, I, I, I use colloidal silver and quite high doses of vitamin C and vitamin D and all, all the normal things one needs to be well. Have you got any specific advice about how to, let's say, keep an infection from occurring if you're going to have to keep the, uh, the too thin frequency devices, for instance? Yes. Um, Western Price's work suggested that some people can actually tolerate root canals. If, if you've got um, two generations of family history and there's no real degenerative 
illness in the family, then you may have a very robust system and you may be able to tolerate them. Some people now, a lot of biological dentists, when you have a root canal extracted, they want to send it for DNA analysis to basically cover their backs. Um, and some of them do come back and they're, they're pretty clean. Some of them aren't at all. Um, there's usually no less than 10 micro, different types of microbes and sometimes often in excess of 40. And these can be things like, you know, typhus and diphtheria and all sorts of, you know, leprosy and, and things like that. Um, so some people do have immune systems that can contain them. Um, you can do all the things you suggested. Um, uh, the only thing I would say is if your health ever deteriorates, that, that would be the first thing I would think about. You know, if you get a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis or cancer or something like that, the first thing I would do is get that root filled tooth out. Um, I know Gerald Smith in America. He's a naturopath and a dentist, and I know he keeps a couple of his... Uh, he's got a couple of root-filled teeth he doesn't want to have out either, and he uses a Rife machine every week um, to, you know, dis disable <laughs> the microbes living in there. But, you know, most people don't have a Rife machine at home. So, um, yeah, there probably are all sorts of things you can do with, you know, lights and frequencies and, and things like that, but... I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I think it's an ill-conceived idea right from the start. And, and I can understand people's reluctance to want to having having paid out for the, the root canal and what have you to have to confront all this. But I think I think it has to be uh, looked at if you want to be fully well. Yes, yes, quite. Um, I was reading some research actually just last week about uh, mice uh, who, when they have their teeth removed, they it doesn't seem to affect them, except if they have their wisdom teeth removed, then they do less well in mazes. Have you ever seen any um, reason to lead you believe that taking out wisdom teeth in humans uh, reduces their level of wisdom? It, it seems coincidental that they're, they're called wisdom teeth if they didn't have something to do with <laughs> wisdom. What do you think? Well, that's a very interesting concept, and I, I haven't heard of that before. Certainly in humans, wisdom teeth are on the heart meridian um, and so they can have profound effects and, and what we've just discussed there about having particularly wisdom teeth 95% plus form cavitations so often that can go on and cause heart problems in, in later life so if you have a heart problem um, and you had your wisdom teeth extracted when you were younger that would be one of the first things I, I would look at I would investigate whether you had one or more cavitations on that, that meridian um, we shouldn't be needing to have our wisdom teeth out at all. We're only needing to have our wisdom teeth out because our faces aren't developing fully um, and aren't, you know, providing adequate space for uh, the wisdom teeth. So the whole thing is, you know, a problem of uh, maldevelopment and, and actually malnutrition um, right from the start. Uh, it's not normal to need your, your wisdom teeth out. Um, and nature put them there for a reason. You know, I... I it's interesting that in folklore they've they've come become you know become called as uh, become known as wisdom teeth. I mean, perhaps they are associated with that, but certainly with uh, developing into adulthood. Yes. So, um, as far as fluoride is concerned, we probably don't need to mention because I expect all our viewers know that uh, fluoride is an unnecessary and poisonous thing. Uh, to use. Have you ever seen any benefits of fluoride? Or uh, presumably you've seen quite a lot of negatives. Um, uh, well, you know, you don't always identify the, the negatives, do you? I mean, certainly in America where they fluoridate most of the water supplies, um, a third of the population now have frank fluorosis and some of, you know, something like 10% of the population have really bad fluorosis. So that's um, a mottling of the teeth. It looks pretty bad. It, it, it can be white um, patches but at its worst it can be quite dark and and really quite disfiguring and of course it affects all the teeth um one of my bosses used to be very keen on fluoride fluoride tablets fluoride gels all this sort of thing and you know i'd get the kids when they were 16 18 or whatever and they invariably had fluorosis and he didn't think that was an issue but i can tell you that they did um and that's a you know they think the teeth are a window on the bones so although that's visible you you know that the bones are probably hypocalcified they get very brittle actually they get uh, you know but not strong it's actually the collagen you need to make the bone uh, resilient um 
I don't know. I would say that some of my colleagues who are biological dentists who see patients who don't ever use fluoride report back to me that they see decay in, quotes, funny places. So, you know, perhaps it does have some kind of beneficial effect. So I'm loath to recommend it once in a while, but maybe it's not such a bad idea, you know, once a week or once a month or something like that. Um, but, you know, the whole idea, again, of protecting teeth from from without is kind of ill-conceived because decay actually starts from within the tooth um, uh, where the tooth kind of loses protection. Uh, so it's that that we need to be addressing, not, uh, you know, some kind of topical treatment. And if you wanted to eat foods that were specifically going to make your teeth strong and resilient, what, what foods would you recommend for teeth? Well, I would say avoid sugar in all its forms, avoid devitalized and processed foods in all their forms, um, you know, anything white. I am not a fan of grains and particularly gluten containing grains for all sorts of health reasons. Um, the other thing that is uh, I take and that I would recommend almost everybody should take is vitamin K2, which um, is a fat soluble vitamin, which Western Price showed um, helped development in all it, it actually helps use of all other nutrients it, it was the one key nutrient he, he identified and you can get that in the diet you can get that in yellow butters you can get it in particularly gouda cheese um you can get it in natto i think you know there are various foods but uh certainly be generous with the yellow butter and um animal fats as well just in general don't be scared of those um, and but I, I would supplement K2. Right. It's, so so even if you're eating quite a lot of, un, let's say, even really good unpasteurized yellow butter, do you, you think you'd still need K2 on top? I would. I would. If I had a child, I would really, really try and make sure that their diet was tip top because the, the diet they have when they're young sets them up for life. You, the decay you get when you're a kid, you we will be treating for the rest of that person's life. I mean, we're, we're all victims of this. I'm the biggest victim of all of current dental practices. Um, so, you know, it is so important and structurally it's so important. And, and it, it's also to create the adequate housing for the brain as well to, to because the, the mid third of the face and the, the brain uh, are very much uh, related um so I, if i had a kid i would really i would kind of have them on a western price paleo diet um i would make sure that they had some k2 containing food every day and generous amounts of it as an adult uh, to prevent osteoporosis and things i would you know i would recommend k2 Right, fine. And so, um, uh, what do you do now, uh, Alison? Do, do you advise people sort of privately uh, about uh, natural health? Or? I run two websites. I've got um, the naturalrecoveryplan.com, which is actually all about recovering from chronic serious and degenerative illness, particularly um, fatiguing illnesses, chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, but the principles apply to everything. But it, it very much looks at um, solving dental issues and detoxifying toxic metals and all the rest of it. And I have another website called mouthbodydoctor.com, and that kind of specifically looks at the dental side of things. There is some uh, overlap between the two websites, but there's unique material on both of them as well. Um, as you know, I've, um, I'm still in the throes of recovering fully from mercury poisoning, so I haven't been taking on clients or anything. I'm actually in the process of trying to get a couple of presentations up online and get some um, books guide, mouth body doctor guides to various subjects written, which will be for sale on both my uh, websites. Um, and I've got a lot of dentistry coming up myself. So um, that's what I've got planned for the immediate future. But no, I, I don't. I may well in the future um, consult, but um, no, I don't really at the moment. Right. And um, uh, uh, lastly, I'd like to say anybody who heard your comment regarding uh, the Rife machine, uh, we interviewed a chap from New Zealand called John White uh, a couple of months ago, who's... Um, brought out with his team uh, a device called the Spooky 2, and that costs as little as something like £60 to buy. Uh, so a huge breakthrough in Rife technology at a really affordable price. Um, I think it's 
I can't remember which episode we put that out under, probably around episode 20. Um, but, uh, so I'm, uh, well, I, I thank you very much for coming on the programme, and um, uh, we um, hope to perhaps uh, uh, hear more from you in the future. Um, and you have a book out, uh, I believe. Is that available at the moment? I do. Yes, um, the book's available on both my websites. I have it here. Let me see. There we go. Oops. Um, and, and say your website once more so people... Um, chronic, well, the book's Chronic Fatigue, ME and Fibromyalgia, The Natural Recovery Plan. The websites are thenaturalrecoveryplan.com and mouthbodydoctor.com and the books are uh, available on both of those websites and on Amazon, although I think they need to reprint copies at the moment. Um, but it's certainly available as Kindle all the time, as, as a Kindle all the time. Right. Well, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Alison, for joining us. Uh, that was Alison Adams. And um, in a few minutes, we're going to uh, bring on another guest, uh, Fiona Burns. And uh, Fiona uh, is a twice cancer, uh, has recovered uh, twice from cancers. Uh, she had, uh, had it once when she was a child and then later on in life. And she's going to tell us about what she's doing now to alert everybody to uh, other ways to recover one's health, no matter uh, what the odds are. Now, in the meantime, uh, while we're just waiting for the connection uh, to be uh, made there, uh, I want to just recommend what I feel uh, people need to do uh, to get their health absolutely right, because there are only uh, just a, a handful of essential nutrients that we all need to be well and just uh, I'd like to just run through them briefly so you know what they are. Now uh, firstly uh, we all need magnesium. Uh, the most important of the minerals, uh, the best way to take magnesium I believe is not a capsule or a tablet but to rub it on the skin as uh, magnesium oil spray. Uh, very inexpensive after you've had a shower for instance just uh, rub the magnesium oil all over. While it's called magnesium oil uh, it's not really uh, an oil at all, just has a slightly oily feel to it. And um, some people who use magnesium find that uh, their whole lives are transformed. Pains vanish, they sleep better, less anxiety, um, more energy, a whole number of things with magnesium. Then another one to add is iodine. Uh, without iodine, we can't make proper hormones. And uh, every cell... Uh, needs iodine, and I would suggest that 95% of the people in England are probably low on iodine, a big contributor to thyroid health. Uh, the next one are fulvic minerals. Without fulvic minerals, F-U-L, V-I-C, without fulvic minerals, we can't have all the trace elements we need. So fulvic minerals of a very high quality are absolutely vital, and they are, those trace elements often tend to be missing from multi-minerals, uh, but you do need a multi-mineral as well as the fulvic minerals. And the multi-mineral is going to give you zinc and potassium and so on. And uh, while the majority of them are made uh, from inorganic materials like ground-up rocks, the uh, uh, natural uh, form of multi-minerals uh, are usually made from food. And I, I find the food-based multis uh, preferable, although both certainly work. Now, um, I think in a moment we're going to be successfully joined by Fiona, but I'll just run through briefly just the other things that everybody needs for health. Vitamin C. Uh, most of us aren't getting enough vitamin C. Vitamin D, if we're not getting enough sunshine. Uh, sulfur, organic sulfur, very important thing missing from most people's diet. We need healthy fats, as uh, has been mentioned by Alison just then, Things like uh, uh, healthy animal fats, or if you're a vegetarian, uh, fats like uh, coconut oil, avocados. Uh, we also need salt, real grey wet salt like our ancestors would have used, not the sea salt you get in supermarkets, that's highly processed. Um, if you're getting older, uh, digestive enzymes can be an incredibly beneficial thing to take as a supplement, as can probiotics, or better still, eat fermented vegetables. Um, I could go on, but I'm hoping that uh, Fiona is now ready to join us. Are you there, Fiona? Yeah. Hi, Clive. 
Excellent. So thank you so much. So uh, you've got an event coming on at the Back to Health conference. Please do tell us about your own history and about the event. Sure. Is the lighting okay? Is it, um, is it okay? Uh, yes, yes, that's fine. Okay, great. Um, so, yes, I, um, so my name is Fiona Shaquilla Burns and I've organised a conference which is and um, it's called Back to Health and it's all about how you can get back to health, basically. Um, the focus is cancer because that's where I've come from. Um, I've had terminal cancer twice myself. So having come through it the second time, I just decided, okay, I have to really um, create an event which is going to offer some of the things that I've learned, bringing in some of, some expert speakers. So we've got speakers from all over the world, including... Oh, we've got people from, we've got um, Brian Clements speaking on the Friday, Dr. Brian Clements, who's um, coming from Florida. He runs the Hippocrates Health Institute. And we've got Donna, shall I, shall I run through the speakers that we've got or how shall I go, Carl? Well, yes, please do. Okay. So altogether, we've got 20 speakers. Um, just to say on the Sunday, we've got a lineup of people who've recovered from cancer so the reason for that is because when I was on my own health journey, I was really wanting to find people who had healed themselves. And it's not so easy to, to find the people that have healed themselves um, when you're looking. So I, I particularly wanted to find somebody who had healed themselves of ovarian cancer at that point. And I was lucky enough to do that. And I found um, somebody called Gillian Jill, who really inspired me. And I really saw the power of the needing to find people who've come through the other side. And the reason it was great, so great for me to meet her was because she had healed herself naturally, which is what I wanted to do. I didn't want to have conventional treatment because it just didn't feel right for me. I'm a medical herbalist. And um, it just, yeah, it felt all wrong to have surgery and chemotherapy I don't have a uh, what other people do I don't think that my way was the right way it was just the right way for me so the point of this conference is to provide choices for people because often when you get given a prognosis uh, well yeah diagnosis prognosis um, you are told you know this is what you have to have you you don't come away feeling that you have any choices. You feel like, I must, you know, I must do what my doctor says. And so many people kind of do that unquestioningly until later on when they go, they look back and go, oh, maybe I, you know, maybe it wasn't such a great idea. Maybe I should have just had surgery and not the chemo, not the radio. So it's good to find out all your options beforehand, basically, um, because once you've had surgery, it's irrevocable, obviously. Um, and yeah, so that's the point of this conference. The point of the conference is to offer choices to people so people can come, listen to speakers talking trustworthy, uh, trustworthy speakers that are, are talking, are grounded in science. So all of the speakers are very, you know, grounded people. They, and they're talking from a scientific perspective, which is really important. So we don't, you know, it's not new agey is what I'm trying to say. It's, uh, it's very practical. And um, yeah, so on the last day, we have a lineup of people who have healed themselves. We've got, but as it happens, mostly it's breast cancer, people who've healed themselves from breast cancer. And people have had a variety, you know, some people have had a variety of conventional treatments and some people have had none. So um, it's kind of giving all of the, you know, all the, the rays of the spectrum. Um, you, and we have somebody who's healed their colon cancer and somebody who's healed their esophageal cancer as well. So, yeah, real good mixture. So that's the Sunday. It's at Exeter Castle, by the way, I should say that. It's in Exeter. And we have, um, so we have experts talking about um, different angles, coming from different angles. So we've got... Dr. Rosie Daniel speaking on Saturday. Do you, have you heard of her, Clive? 
I, I have, but for, for the audience, yeah. perhaps uh, t tell a little bit about Rosie. Yeah. Well, Rosie um, has been in this world, actually, in the cancer world for um, over 20 years. She, she, worked, she worked at the Bristol Cancer Help Centre when it was set up originally um, with Penny Bron. So she originally it was Pat Pilkington, her, uh, uh, Pat Pilkington, Penny Bron and Rosie were pretty much the core staff at the beginning of the what was the Penny Bron Centre. And she brings, uh, so she's a medical doctor um, who's, who's very interested in integrative health and she works a lot with people who have cancer in Bath. So she's very inspiring. She's a kind of, she's a very tuned in, um, I'd say she's, she's very, her left and right brain, very balanced. You know, she's, she's very intuitive, highly intuitive, um, as well as being very scientific. So, you know, good. She's good. on. Uh, so she's doing a talk and a workshop on Saturday. We've got um, Brian Clements, though, on the Friday. So some people are just coming, you know, some people are choosing to just do one day. Some people are choosing to do the whole three days. And it's fine with whether you choose to do pick out one of the days or or three days. Um, so, and we have yeah Brian Clements talking about healing disease. His thing is raw food, so he's really big on uh, using raw foods, living food. But he's really into sprouts and um, I spent three weeks in, in Hippocrates Health Institute in Florida back in 2008 and um, it was great so yeah I, I, I really I really love Brian he's a great speaker we have um, Dr. Dana Flavin who's a doctor who's coming over from uh, from she's actually she's she's from the collaborative um, what's how is it yeah, sorry. So actually, I want to get it right. I don't want to just say the wrong thing. Um, yeah, she's the founder of the. She's the founder of the Foundation for Collaborative Medicine in Connecticut, and her talk is called "Can Stage Four Integrative Oncology?" So she's fascinating. I mean, she's she just knows so much. She's fountain of knowledge, and has been researching from all over you know she she travels around the world basically looking for cures looking for not just for cancer but um she's interested in treating particularly metabolic diseases so diabetes as well um yeah she's great she's very inspiring um and we have dr judy seeger so actually she's yeah she's kicking off the day dr judy seeger she's a detoxification specialist and she runs a uh, she does the cancer winner show which you might have come across have you heard of that Clive? no no i haven't oh she's great she she she's really focused on help people and she interviews people who've recovered so that um yeah to find out what it was they did and share it with everybody so that's a really good show. The council speaking. So we've got those three, and then we've got um, what's on the Friday. Yes, that's the Friday. Um, oh, Patricia Pete, of course. We've got Patricia Pete, who's um, she was an oncology nurse, and she now she now runs Cancer Options. She's a well known, very well known speaker. Um, works a lot with Yes to Life charity and um, yeah she's going to be talking about new developments in integrative medicine home and abroad so a lot of people actually to Germany when they get uh, diagnosed with cancer which I actually went to Germany um, me myself I, I had um, first time around I had leukemia and then I had metastasized cervix cancer which has gone to the ovaries in the brain so um one of the things I did, I did lots of things I did diet and um mind body therapies meditation got joyful um realized that it's all about vibration and health is about vibration 
and uh, really sort of tuned in with, with my health. Well, one of the things I did go to do was go to Germany and I had some targeted chemo. And uh, that, in my mind, is the best way to have chemo because it's uh, it tar by targeting it, you're not um, you're not undermining the immune system to the same extent. So you're minimising the damage that the chemo will do. Because um, well, we want the toxin to kill cancer, and we don't want the toxin to damage our whole body. So that's that's the purpose of targeting chemo. And they're doing a lot of it in Europe, and we're not doing. And we really should be doing it here. We should be offering it here. So hopefully people will come to this conference, um, listen to Dr. Vogel is speaking on the Saturday. Um, he's talking about using targeted chemo. Uh, he does something called chemoembolization and chemoperfusion. So as far as I'm concerned, it, it, when, we, when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to conventional medicine, that, that, feels like that's right sort of on the it's the interface between um sort of holistic it's kind of yeah it's it's um as cancer is is too advanced to just treat it with diet alone um quite often it's that's the case so that's why it does help to have a certain amount of um you know more radical procedures like using chemo is the picture all right? Because I'm, I'm quite pixelated, uh, Clive. Uh, yes, the quality, unfortunately, hasn't been uh, absolutely brilliant, but I'm hoping yeah. that uh, uh, our viewers will have pick, picked it up. Um, okay. Is there anything I can do? Uh, well, uh, I think we're just going to have to hope for the best at this point. I mean, you know, if, if it was me and uh, I had a very advanced cancer, I, I, rather than choose chemo, I'd personally use uh, tools like frequency devices, um, because I believe that, you know, as you mentioned, frequency, I believe that frequencies are working with the body. Um, even targeted chemo doesn't appeal to me personally, but everybody's going to take their own decisions on that, uh, particularly as people are so scared by the whole diagnosis. You know, you probably know that uh, the chances of somebody having a heart attack go up 25-fold in the first week after they've had a cancer diagnosis. You know, it's the shock that kills you. Goodness me. And also tumours start really growing at that point as well. You know, they've, they've noticed that when people get diagnosed, the tumours suddenly start growing and it's all the stress hormones whizzing around the body, you know, which causes that. But Carl, sorry, I keep wanting to call you Carl. Clive, um, what, I didn't realise you had cancer as well. What, what sort of cancer was it you had? No, no, uh, no, 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 I didn't have it personally. Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, I, yeah, I didn't think you had. No. <laughs> Hanging in there. Um, well, you know, the yeah. first time I saw cancer cured was 25 years ago uh, with vitamin C, high-dose vitamin C. My dad's ah. friend took high-dose of vitamin C and recovered his health and lived another 20-odd years. Wow. You see, something as simple as that, it's, yeah, was that IV? Was that intravenously? Or? No, he was taking it orally. Wow. Yeah. But that, that was you know, 25, 30 years ago. Uh, now, uh, to recover from cancer is a little bit harder, I believe, because the environmental stresses are that much worse and the food that much worse. And, uh, mm. It seems you've got to try a little harder than you used to. But, I mean, I, I, I've observed... Depends, you know, yeah. Everybody's different, aren't they? So it's, it's difficult to say, you know, this is what... This, there's not there's not one approach that suits everybody that works for everybody so the thing is that we all i believe we all do know um what we need so if we can listen to ourselves and listen to you know how we're being guided um to do it's not about doing what other people say necessarily it's about following one one's own gut instinct listening to that and whatever you do whatever treatment you do you have to believe in it that's the most important thing so if you don't believe in what you're doing but um but if you do believe it then you know it's it's a lot about that it's a lot about belief i couldn't agree more and yeah. uh I, I believe that what we think about happens and i think the danger of people who fear they've got cancer is 
what they tend to do is they tend to run to the doctor full of fear that they've got cancer and then perhaps let's say they get the terrible uh, news that yes it is cancer and then they keep going back to the hospital looking looking for more going for more and more tests and and I think the problem is that at a subconscious level, their body picks up the notion that they must really want cancer because they're thinking about it all the time. And they're taking lots of actions, looking for cancer all the time. And I, I honestly think that the body is very capable of actually providing you with the cancer. Even if you only had a little, little, few cancer cells before, if the subconscious believes you're looking for it because you're spending all that time concentrating on it, I think it's it. I think equally... Uh, uh, people who, instead of looking for health, they might do better. Are you still there? There's a frightening beeping noise on the line. I think we may have lost Fiona. Well, uh, unless Fiona rapidly comes back on, I think we were pretty much at uh, the end of the programme. Hopefully the producer may be able to reconnect her. You can't hear me, Fiona, can you? I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, brilliant. Good. I lost you at least at my end. I'm, I'm glad you're you're there. My apologies. I'm back. I've come back. Excellent. So, I did. Uh, I went away and I came back. Oh, right. Very good. Well, we're, uh, we're coming up towards the end of our hour, so perhaps yeah. you'd like to uh, tell the audience again exactly when and where the conference is. And okay. uh, it's incredibly inexpensive to get in. I know that. It's very cheap. I've you know, d intentionally made it as cheap as possible for people. Um, feasibly possible. It's £120 uh, for the whole three days and it's at Exeter Castle and it starts on Friday. So it starts this Friday and it runs for three days. It's Friday, Saturday and Sunday, all three days, starting at 9.30 on Friday morning. So if you um, want to go, then the best thing to do is to go online and book your ticket, which is the, the website is backtohealthevents.com. That's back, number two, healthevents.com. And if you go there and go to registration, then you can book your ticket. And uh, you can also book yourself some very lovely raw organic healing food, especially created for people on a healing diet, um, which is really showing, showing you you can eat really yummy, yummy food when you're healing. So it's all vegan and uh, organic and um, uh, what else? Yeah, very nice. So that's definitely recommended as well. So, um, yeah, do come along. We've still got a few tickets left. So it would just be a real shame to not have the place full, actually, because we've got the most incredible speakers and... It would be a shame to not make the most of them. We've got Barbara Wren. I didn't even tell you, Barbara Wren. We've got her doing a workshop. We've got Gerson People doing Gerson Workshop. And we've got an amazing coach called Gosha Gorna, uh, who's extraordinary. Uh, that's all I can say about her. She's been coaching me throughout this, um, especially well, re more recently for this conference, actually. So, yeah, she's great. Um, have I missed anyone out? That's, yeah. I think I've mentioned everybody. I haven't mentioned all the Sunday speakers by name, but they're the people who've healed themselves. Oh, Martin Powell, we've got him. Medicinal mushrooms. Medicinal mushrooms are amazing for supporting the immune system. So, um, yeah, we've got him as well speaking on Sunday. So that's it. Well, that's excellent. So that's the back to the number two, back to health uh, conference. And uh, I think the website is backtohealthevents.com. Yeah. Sorry, back to health events.com. And I think everybody knows somebody with cancer, probably. So you must get in touch yeah. with them, tell them to go. I'll give uh, you a number as well, just in case anybody wants to um, get in touch and you know, ask anything. Or we can do backs transfer as well. But uh, if you don't, yeah, want to do it online, um, it is my number is 0117 Do you want to say that once more? 0117. Nine zero four six three four three. Well, that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Fiona, for coming on. And um, for, the, for those who haven't heard some of those names before at the conference, uh, the, these are the uh, the really uh, top end people, the people who are having real, very serious results. And uh, I'm going to go uh, because I like to hear. 
uh, Barbara Wren and uh, the other wonderful speakers. So I hope you'll be there too. Um, if you need any of the supplements we've been talking about, uh, my company, ancientpurity.com, uh, will enlighten you as to uh, uh, all of the fantastic products that are there. And I thank you very much uh, uh, for joining us this week, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the next edition. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye.